Thanks, Eric, and Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Bethany Community Church Online. We're really grateful that you're with us here today as we share together. I am not going to say anything about 2020. We're not going to look back today at all. We're going to look forward. And as we look forward, of course, we turn 21, all of us. So I'm wondering if most of you remember what you were doing the day you turned 21. I actually don't remember what I was doing the day I turned 21, and it wasn't because I had too much to drink or anything like that. I don't think I even had a drink of alcohol on the day that I turned 21. I just don't remember it. It wasn't, it wasn't meaningful for me, but maybe some of you do remember because turning 21, in the United States anyway, is supposed to be a big deal. Your first legal drink, your first legal smoke, and now you get to go to nightclubs and bars. That is, in America, our big rite of passage, that and 16 when you get to drive. But the reality, of course, is that 21 is just a reflection of days lived, not wisdom acquired, and calling fulfilled, and blessing shared, and gratitude expressed, and impulses overcome. In fact, psychologists and sociologists and business leaders and anyone watching any version of the nightly news knows the truth. We suffer collectively in our culture from a case of arrested development. And by that, I mean, uh, though we continue to amass days, we're not necessarily growing in wisdom at a level commensurate to the age with which we turn. Uh, One author, Bill Plotkin, writes about this in this way. When we take an honest look at the people in charge of governments and corporations and schools and religious organizations and industrial growth societies, we find that too many of them are psychological adolescents with no deep understanding of themselves or the natural environment that makes their lives possible. Many Western people spend their lives aspiring to the adventures of early early adolescent heroism, whether on elite playing fields or in the fastest cars or the highest summits or the most beds or the most exclusive boardrooms, and others hope to land the best male exemplar of that adolescent hero or become a female version of that adolescent hero. And so the problem is this, with so few ripened leaders, our communities have become caravans astray in a cultural wilderness. And I love that phrase, caravans astray in a cultural wilderness. What that means is that we're lost collectively. And the reason that we're lost collectively is because we're lacking wisdom, not knowledge, Not science, though science is important, though knowledge is important, but you can have science and knowledge and wealth and power and not wisdom. And that is a deadly cocktail. Wisdom is the necessary ingredient to transform our own personhood and to transform culture. And so when we come to the scriptures, what we find is the scriptures are inviting all of us to not just live out our days so that whether we're 20 or 30 or 50 or 80, we have amassed days, but to live out our days in a way where we continue to grow in wisdom. Our journey for transformation is intended by God to be ongoing. And the entire scripture is actually about this ongoing journey transformation. And it is a journey. But it's a journey, frankly, in which many of us get stuck, either due to ignorance or stubbornness. 
Ignorance would be like this. I didn't even know that there was more growth ahead of me. I thought I was done growing, and now I'm just spending the rest of my days protecting what I've amassed. That would be ignorance. We're called to grow until until our last breath, actually. So that's one problem, ignorance. But another problem, equally prevalent, is stubbornness. In other words, I've grown to an extent. I know there's more for me, and I'm like this. Nope, I'm done. I'm not going to grow anymore. The entire Old Testament and the journey of Israel from slavery into what is called the promised land is a story of a call to ongoing maturity and transformation. And we know from that story that many said this, nope, I will not take another step forward. Remember in uh, the Lord of the Rings, when Sam and Frodo get to the end of the field, Sam stops and he says, If I take one more step, I'll be in territory I've never been in before. Can I just suggest to all of you that as we enter into 2021, I don't want you to be forever 21 or forever 15 or forever 12 or forever 40. And God doesn't want that either. God wants us to continue to grow. To take that step to where we've never been before. And so that's what I want to articulate for you this morning as we begin 2021, this massive vision that is life in Christ. It's a massive vision. And there are actually six developmental phases in this vision, like this journey of transformation. There's six ways that you're to be saved. It's like a Russian doll. If you've seen those Russian dolls that are nested, you know, you open one, you think you got one for Christmas and you open it, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. But then you open it and there's a second one. And you go, whoa, I have two dolls. No, you don't have just two, keep going. There's a third doll and a fourth doll and a fifth doll and a sixth doll. That's the Christian life. And so I wanna share with you these six developmental phases in our time together this morning. And this is how they go. I'll give them to you now. Some of you take notes, some of you don't, but I'll give them to you and then we'll go over this again. The first phase, the first doll, if we can say it that way, is reconciliation. The second is soul deliverance. The third is body, a change in your relationship with your body. God wants to save, in a sense, your body. Fourth, salvation changes your sense of purpose and calling. Fifth, salvation changes your relationship to justice. And sixth, salvation changes your relationship to all of creation. Spirit, soul, body, calling, justice, creation. Six dolls embedded. Let's look at the first one, reconciliation. You, maybe you know this verse, Romans 5, 10, the first half of the verse. Uh, it says that we are reconciled with God by the death of God's son, Jesus. In other words, here's the first doll. I've got very good news, Matt. God's not mad at you anymore. You've been reconciled with God. That's that's really good news. Reconciled through the death of Christ. When I was uh, six or seven years old, I heard this message and it really dropped into my being for the first time. I was at Ratcliffe Stadium in Fresno, California. Billy Graham was there. And so I will never forget him saying, Christ died so that you could be 
made right with God. I'll never forget it. I was only six or seven years old. And so you need to admit that you need to be restored to God. And then he asked people to come forward and receive Christ. And I I will also never forget knowing that I wanted to kind of publicly come forward and declare as a child that I needed to be made right with God, but I was too scared to do it. And it, it it wouldn't be until I was 10 years old that I actually, quote unquote, had that moment when I received, in a sense, that reconciliation and knew that I was right with God. But that first time, very powerful, Ratcliffe Stadium, Billy Graham, you can be made right with God. Man, I knew I needed it. And so what that means is I knew I needed to name my need for God and receive his gift. And so do you. So if you haven't even started the journey, this is the first doll. Receive Christ. And I'm going to say to you, though my faith has matured to its developmental phases, that first doll remains. All of us need to know that we are right with God. And in fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says it this way, in the same manner in which you received Christ, so continue to walk in him. How did all of us come to Christ? However you said it, I'm sick, I'm a sinner, I have a need, I failed, I'm confused, I'm tired, I'm broken. God, come and be with me. However you said it, that need for God in your life never changes. And so we're invited to a life of dependency for the rest of our days. That's why Jesus said, unless you have faith like a child, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And that childhood faith needs to remain. We're continually dependent on God. And then ironically, that dependency leads to a life of confidence because when the good shepherd is with me, I as a sheep can face anything. So first all, reconciliation. But I'm going to say to you, this was, for the most part, the only message I heard as a child. Every Sunday, I heard that message. Receive Christ as your Savior so that you will know that you won't burn in hell forever. Uh, Christ died for me in the past. People said this. Christ died for me in the past. Christ is coming again for me in the future. But what I didn't hear in my childhood was what Christ is doing right now. And the failure to answer this results in terrible arrested development among many what are called evangelical Christians because they think that the point of the Christian life is to secure some sort of eternal destiny. And it's not the point. It's only the starting point. It's the first doll. There's five more. Don't stop there. Otherwise, you will be, as we heard in Hebrews chapter 5, stuck in infancy. So if the first doll is reconciliation in my spirit, the second doll is what I call soul deliverance. Romans 5.10 again, the second half, what we theologians call 5.10b, says this. If in A, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by, not by his death, saved by his life. Saved from what? 
not hell. You're already reconciled. Saved by his life means this. It means that only through my association with Christ can now Christ live in me and begin the work of transformation that needs to happen in my soul. I didn't really hear this message very much until my association with the Torchbearer community, where I'm privileged to teach on a regular basis in various parts of the world. My entire childhood, I actually thought that Christianity was primarily about a change of destiny. But when I learned that the risen Christ desires to so fill me and empower me that I find myself engaged in this lifelong journey of of transformation so that my mind and my will and my emotions begin to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. Until I discovered that, Christianity was boring for me. But when I discovered that, I realized, oh, do you know what? Christ wants to save the broken parts of my story and fill those parts with grace and transformation so that I move from lust to purity, from greed to generosity, from cynicism to hope. From, from sadness to joy, from self-centeredness to love. I need to move. Okay, okay. how do we move? Well, here's the answer, and you're not going to like it. 1 Peter 1.9 says this, your soul is being saved right now, today, 2021, as it was being saved in 2020. Your soul is being saved through various trials. Oh, brother, really? Do I have to hear that? Yes. Trials reveal the broken parts of our story. They absolutely do. And they force us, if we're honest, to turn to God for various things depending on the situation. In other words, sometimes we know that we need strength because the trial has revealed our weakness. In 2020, for example... We at Bethany, who are pastors, have had the honor and the profound privilege of seeing and walking with people as they've dealt with health challenges, some major cancer challenges. And what I see when I walk with people who are going through trials is not only the strength to re- uh, required to face, for example, chemotherapy with grace, but also the strength required for the caregiver. Because here's what happens. Like this trial has dropped in my life, uh, my life, some health challenge, and then suddenly, boom, I realize I don't have the capacity to do what's being asked of me right now. I don't have it. And I find through the community and through the internal fortitude granted me by the Holy Spirit, I find I have a strength that I didn't realize I had until I needed to appropriate that strength. In other words, when I know my weakness, I'm like this, God, I'm weak. And now I receive the strength. So trials reveal our need. And then we begin to appropriate some facet of Christ so that I move from weakness to strength. Sometimes we need wisdom. Because we're at a crossroads and we don't know whether the voice that we're hearing is the wind of the spirit blowing us in a new direction or just our own boredom or frustration. And so we don't know whether to stay or go. We don't know whether to remain silent or speak the hard word because we know that the person with whom we're sitting needs the hard word, but we don't know if they can receive it right now. Maybe they're too tired right now. Or maybe the hard word needs to be said, but it's Zoom. Do you say hard words on Zoom? 
We don't know. And so there's a time to speak, a time to be silent, a time to love, a time to hate evil, a time to give, a time to close your hand. And we don't know. We need wisdom. Uh, So when we're at those crossroads and we don't know what to do, that's a good place to be. Because that's where soul transformation begins to happen. Sometimes we need self-control because life's really hard. And we live in a world that teaches us that pain is not only not ever okay, but we live in a world that teaches us that there's always a quick fix for pain, always. So we're tempted to fix our loneliness or soul pain or frustration with another bout of shopping or a little porn surfing, or a third or fourth glass of wine, whatever it is that diverts you, whatever it is that numbs you, you're tempted to avoid any pain. No. (laughs) Like pain is God's megaphone inviting me to receive the comfort of the good shepherd so that I can walk with courage. So whether I'm sick or I'm at a crossroads, or I'm weak, or I'm in my rope, or I'm suffering with pain, all these struggles are revelatory that our soul is an ongoing work in need of ongoing transformation. So that the love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and generosity and self-control and kindness that our Jesus find expression in you and me. This is called soul work. And I will just say to you that my most transformative moments are the parts of my story embedded in, in, in moments of suffering because it's the suffering parts of my story that have needed redemption. You can go to church your whole life and be stuck with an undeveloped soul because you didn't do the work. Because as I already shared, maybe you didn't know that the work was there to be done. Maybe, maybe you knew it was to be done, but no one ever offered to walk with you to do the work. But here's the deal. The most transformative soul moments happen when trials and failures come and we have the courage to face them. And this is all where the church fails. Uh, I am presently writing a 12 Days of Christmas series on my blog. And on the fifth day of Christmas, I talked about the gift that God gives us of the capacity to be vulnerable. And uh, someone wrote in and said, to be honest, there are parts of my own brokenness that are too much for even most fellow believers. My experience with attempting to quote unquote, open the door, even a crack to reveal the dark parts of my soul has resulted not in increased fellowship, but rather a kind of recoiling in effect, polite, mind you. But nonetheless, recoiling just the same as evidenced by a virtual cutting off of further engagement. And he goes on to say that he found deeper fellowship and more honesty in recovery groups outside the church. Listen, we got to get over this because this isn't how we grow. And so we already heard this morning an invitation to a story seminar this coming Thursday night at Bethany Community Church. I want to encourage, I know I'm going to take that class and I want to encourage you to join me in taking that class because redeeming your story is what we call here at Bethany soul work. And we call it soul work because that's what the Bible calls it. Like we're looking at our trials and we're saying, God, what are you trying to teach me here so that I can keep moving? That's the second doll. So rather than uh, reviewing trials as problems to be hidden, we should see trials 
as the kind of the soil in which this transformative work of Christ can grow. Uh, uh, Rainer Rilke, who was his, this is a poet whose life was filled with trials. I won't go into it now. But this is what Rilke says. Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are actually princesses who are only waiting to see us act just once with beauty and courage, like face your brokenness. Perhaps everything that frightens us is, in its deepest essence, uh, something helpless that wants our love. God wants us to grow by facing our trials. So, first of all, reconciliation. Second, uh, salvation of the soul. Third, salvation changes your relationship with your body. Romans 8.11 says that God gives life through the Spirit to our mortal bodies. And what that means is as this ecosystem that is our life in Christ begins to kind of mature and develop, your life in the Spirit, the confidence you have that God loves you, the ongoing work of redeeming your story actually begins to change physiologically your body as well. Your stress levels change. So when God created humans... God's desire was that, that, that humans would find their most full expression in this ecosystem of spirit, soul, and body, Genesis 2-7. God created us as bodies, and then it says God breathed into us the spirit of life, spirit, ruach, also the word uh, uh, for wind, also the word for breath, and then man became a living soul. So the union of spirit and body results in the living soul and God's desire is that your body then would be this expression of a transformed soul and spirit filled with the life of God. And uh, this body will express in increasing measure over the course of our life the presence of Jesus. That's what the body does. I know my wife and I, uh, five years ago now, six years ago, we were uh, hiking through the Alps and we were looking for lodging in this particular town in Italy. And we were told at one point, we were told by someone, if anyone in town has a, has a free bed, it'll be at this particular house. And so we, we walked through this town and we found this address and we knock on the door and the door opens and here's this woman and she, she has... Um, there's a candle lit in her entryway. There's a picture of Jesus. There's a picture of the Pope, actually. She's a heavy-duty Catholic. And uh, th- she didn't know any English, but knew some German. But her primary language was Italian. My daughter is hiking this first part of the journey with us. She knows German, but not Italian. And so through German, this little Italian woman... She, she took my hands, and with all the love in the world in her eyes, she said, if I had a bed, I would share it with you, but I don't. I know that God will provide a bed for you. And then we had to part ways, and all three of us felt like this visceral presence of holiness. And I said, what just happened? And we realized that what just happened is we, we had met Jesus. The presence of Christ in this beautiful woman with her offer of hospitality that she couldn't even provide was profound. 
So much more to say about the body. And I won't say it now, but I will let you know that uh, soon we have a class on spirit, soul, and body transformation. And I invite you to participate in the class so that you can continue to grow in all three of these areas. But very important, you can't stop, cannot stop with the body. So we've got three dolls now, spirit, reconciled, soul, like this ongoing work with my story, body, so that my body begins to reflect the presence of Jesus. What's the fourth doll? I open the doll. There's another one. Oh, a new sense of purpose, calling. You see, the danger of spirit, soul, body theology is that if we stop there, it becomes nothing more than kind of therapy, some sort of plan for personal wholeness, which is just a form of narcissism. And I want you to know that our culture feeds this narcissistic lust that all of us have, like to just be the best version of ourselves possible. I don't know how Facebook does what Facebook does, but I know that they know me pretty well because of the ads that show up, right? So just as the new year is turning over, I, I just noted some ads. You don't need to cut the carbs out to regain the body of your youth, ad number one. And number two, over 60, you can have the health of a 40-year-old with this simple three minutes a day system. That's ad number two. Ad number three, atomic habits for those approaching retirement. Ad number four, I just I have a new puppy, six minutes a day to the perfect dog. Ad number five, I have trouble sleeping sometimes. Here's a way to sleep better and get back the life you've lost. How do they know me? I don't know, but they know what is going on inside of me to make the perfect version of Richard, Richard. And if that's all your life is about, you will miss God's story entirely. Because what's offered in our culture has nothing to do with being invited into God's bigger story. If your spirituality has only advanced from a sense that Christ wants to change your destiny to Christ wants to make you the happiest, healthiest, most fulfilled version of yourself, then you're suffering from arrested development. You're stuck at spirit, soul, body. Don't stop there ever. Your thinking's too small. There's nothing new there. God's desire is that you would then take this person that's in, in this journey of transformation and begin to bless the world by being a unique expression of the life of God. Ephesians 2.8 says that you are God's workmanship created in a specific way. In Genesis, the word for your creation is this. God created you the way a potter creates clay, right? Or creates something out of clay. In other words, every expression unique, all clay, but everyone unique. So God's desire is that each one of us would be this unique expression of Christ, some like overwhelming with generosity, others mercy, others wisdom, others patience, others you know, power, others teaching. But all of us contributing to the, 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 the calling that God has for you, different magnifications of God's character. I just wrote about this at length on the spiritsoulbody.org website where you can get writings and podcasts and things about our ancient paths ministry, which is also good for the body. You can go there and you can read more. But I'll just say this for now. My wife, for example, is gifted at opening people's eyes to what God is saying through creation. Several of my children have gifts of combining food and hospitality to bring people together. 
My oldest daughter is a writer, paints pictures with words. And none of them are one-dimensional beings. They all do lots of things. But I'm grateful that every one of them know their gifts. And these gifts are unique expressions of beauty that have blossomed out of them and are bearing fruit. And we're told in the Bible that every one of us have gifts and calling and that each one of us has a calling to display God's character. And yet each one of us will display God's character in different ways. So with some, it's serving like Dorothy Day and Mother Teresa or baking really good bread like my daughters do. With others, it's pouring one's life out courageously in pursuit of justice like Harriet Tubman or Martin Luther King. With others, it's using tools to masterfully create beauty out of wood or out of a guitar or a piano or a set of drums over here or using your vocal cords to sing praises to God. Everybody has a gift. And here's the thing. In 2021, find your gift, use it because that's how Christ is displayed. So how do you find your gifts? Well, we'll talk about that more in the year ahead. But in general, I would say, Follow the fall line of your life. In other words, God's giving you opportunities there's, there, and you're looking at the, the, the entire landscape. And get, I'll finally say this, gifts are best found in community. We need each other. Join a class. Don't just worship on Sunday. Join a class so you can know people so that people can speak into your life. And then once you've found your gift, fan your gift into, in, into flame. So let's review our dolls. Merry Christmas. Reconciliation, right? You, you're made right with God. Merry Christmas, you open the door. Oh, God's redeeming my story, second. Merry Christmas, oh, God's redeeming my body. Merry Christmas, oh, God has a calling for me. And then fifth, salvation changes our relationship to systems. What does that even mean? Well, in 2021, you'll discover here at Bethany Community Church, that we are going to be doing work with Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil to address issues of systemic racism and to kind of look at our own community and ask the question, how can we move the ball down the field so that the scourge that is racism, kind of the besetting sin in American culture, how can we address that? And then uh, also, Pastor Phil has developed a beautiful relationship with the Duwamish tribe, and you'll be hearing more about that in 2021 because uh, we want to build bridges where walls have developed between the Native American culture and the rest of us who are all, frankly, immigrants. These are justice issues. Justice was a new thing in my story years ago, and as I was uh, overnighting in Bangkok due to a canceled flight, Longer story than now, but I ended up in a hotel and discovered that a, a young teenage girl came as part of the package deal with the room, and I didn't know it until I got there. And I remember getting sick to my stomach and leaving that motel and taking a cab back to the airport and sleeping in the airport, but not really sleeping. Because in that moment, I was asking the question, you know, if Christ came and Jesus' mission statement was in Luke chapter 3 or 4, wherever it is, if Jesus' mission statement was, hey, I've come to set the captive free, 
the question was haunting me that night in the airport was, does Christ coming have anything to do with this girl enslaved in prostitution? And I'm going to tell you, the overwhelming answer is yes. And I went on to India, and I taught in India the book of Exodus, which is about deliverance from slavery. And I'd spent my entire life teaching that this is only the deliverance of slavery from sin. And now I realize it's not just slavery from sin, it's deliverance from slavery, from human trafficking, from, 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 from racism, from oppression, from oppressive systems. Yes, deliverance is total. And that understanding that God cares about slavery and God cares about racism and God cares about poverty and God cares about oppressive economic systems is a very important piece of salvation. And to be blunt, often in the evangelical church, boom, we stop before we get there. And we reduce the gospel to personal, private holiness and piety. No, I'm telling you, no. Not here. Our desire is to be the presence of Christ in a way that sets the captive free. And I don't just mean somebody captive to alcohol. I mean somebody captive. Captive to human trafficking. Captive to the scourge of racism. Captive. God wants to set us. If the Son will make you free, you'll be what? Free a little bit? No. John 8, free indeed. Totally free. And finally, last thing, and I won't spend any time here because I intend to do an entire series on this. Salvation changes our relationship to creation itself, all of creation. One Sioux Indian chief says it this way. Every element of creation expresses the creator. Every element within each mountain, each stone, each heart, each animal lies the great spirit. Do you believe that? Everything's from the creator. And each particle of the universe is equally deserving of respect and admiration. So, when you're looking at a sunset, the trees, or even your own worst enemy, you're looking at an expression from and of the creator. Know this and give thanks in your prayers to the creator who has given you this gift. Wow. This is powerful. This is an ecosystem. Six dolls. You're reconciled. God's not mad at you anymore. God's redeeming your story. God's filling your body so that you increasingly display the life of Christ. God's given you unique gifts so that you can begin to serve in our broken world. God is committed to setting every captive free, addressing oppression and injustice, and God wants to heal all of creation, which is presently groaning, awaiting our salvation so that we can contribute to the wholeness of all creation. Man, you know, one year ago, what did we say? Happy New Year! And then, 2020, race, economy, health, pandemic, politics, conspiracy theories, isolation, polarization, more race, more pandemic. And here we are again. Happy New Year. (laughs) But here's the thing. No matter what happens in 2021, God is committed to your growth so that you don't have to be forever 21. 
you can become a person of increasing measure, justice and mercy and hope and generosity and peace, setting the captives free, participating in God's story, if you take your next step. What's your next step? Take it with me in 2021. Father, meet us as we worship now. We give you your head. Make us courageous. We don't know what it'll it'll hold. We don't know. (laughs) But we know that whatever it holds, your desire is that we receive what you bring us and allow what you bring us to transform us so that we represent your heart in order that the world might see Jesus. Give us the courage to take those steps and we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits. Praying in the name of Christ. Amen.